Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter, episode 61. Uh, this is the start of our fourth season, and then we've had a lot of fun and success. Um, to start off the season, I have invited on the show a guest that was recommended to me by, so far, my most fo- popular uh, guest, Howard Taylor. And he recommended that I get in touch with a gentleman by the name of Gary Terrell. Gary is, uh, in his own words, a hack webcomic pseudo-journalist. But he does a lot of editing, writing at Fleen, and is basically a blogmonger. And I wanted to invite Gary to the show. Gary, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks. My pleasure. Now, you're here, and basically we're together, because you and I kind of look at the, uh, uh, some, a phenomenon that's going on from slightly different uh, lenses. I have watched through the board game space, Kickstarter, and you have watched through the game, excuse me, the, the webcomic. Tell me a little bit about your background about the webcomic space. Uh, well, I'm not, uh, one of the things that we should uh, express here is that I may have a little bit more of an observational uh, perspective on things. I don't necessarily have a dog in this fight. It fascinates me. I get numbers uh, that suggest patterns to me, and I want to dig out and see how they work, but I don't run campaigns. I'm not trying to raise money for anything, so it maybe gives me a little bit more uh, room to explore uh, and find answers that aren't necessarily comfortable because it doesn't affect me so much as it affects a bunch of people I know uh, through a particularly bizarre set of circumstances that involved a lot of beer. Uh, I came to know a bunch of webcomics creators. Uh, I wound up writing a blog on webcomics, been doing that for about six and a half, seven years now. And when Kickstarter started becoming prominent as a pre-funding mechanism, a pre-order mechanism for these creators to work into new products, primarily funding printing uh, of their electronic distributed work, uh, became very interested and started wondering to myself, why is this working? Where are the sweet spots? Can this be reduced down to a model? It's far too many inputs. It's far too uh, multivariate a system that you could ever just black box it and say, do this and do this and do this and you will automatically succeed. But are there things that will clearly influence uh, the odds away from the failure and more towards the possible successes? So that's, uh, that's where I'm coming from. Okay. And for anybody who's listened to the show over the last 60 episodes, they know that I'm coming from almost the exact same thing on the board game Let's call it tabletop gaming, minis, RPGs, uh, board games, card games, dice games, where we've seen uh, the board game industry be influenced tremendously by this, inf- this new system. You refer to it as, a, as a, a pre-order system. In some ways, in the board game space, it's just been a sheer uh, ability for so many people with a dream and a passion to design board games to bring it to market without having to go through the traditional model. So with that, tell me, ha- what's the answer? Have you found some things that break it down and say, here are some, here are some indicators that, of success or failure. Is it the type of thing where you can look at a project and pretty much eye it and say, okay, that's going to succeed, this many backers, this much money, it's going to take that amount of time. Have you reached that point? Uh, have not reached that point. There's a fairly nonlinear response that you get in the webcomic space, and this may or may not fall to the same degree in the board game space or the, uh, the tabletop space. The success correlates with the personal connection to an audience that's already been built up sure, by the creator. Sure, that I, f- fan base. That fan base is so critical. That existing fan base, that existing audience that can be leveraged times a pent-up demand for whatever the project may be. If you go through, there's not a specific webcomics category, so trying to find something that counts as a webcomics project when I'm 
uh, doing my examinations can be a bit tricky. Oh, okay, here's a project by somebody. It's prominent web comics, but it's not something that was ever done as uh, a free web comic up front. Or here's something that's a, a side project, but it saw distribution online. You have to kind of make some judgment calls in there. The successes are where people have got a personal connection with a creator. They don't get a success. Uh, the comics category is littered with hundreds, maybe a thousand projects that are very optimistic and they say, hey, I've always wanted to make a comic book and you've never heard of me and you've never seen my work and here's a page and if you pay me $8,000, I can make that comic book. Well, in the comic space, that very rarely is going to be compelling. If it's the most gorgeous work that anyone's ever seen, uh, it's clearly been a talent that's been honed in secret and just catches fire, maybe. But for the most part, it's going to be things that have established uh, loyal audiences. And it comes down to something that uh, our mutual acquaintance, uh, Howard Taylor, has put, that you can have somebody that's a, a, a deep fan of webcomics, and my daily troll list, uh, depending on the day, is 60 to 90 titles. And that's wow. just a fraction of what's out there. And I'm an anomaly because uh, I buy wide and I buy deep, but most people are only going to plunk down money if you are their number one, number two, number three favorite. Sure. And they're only going to put down real money if you're in the top two, quite frankly. So if you're not already there, you're not going to see a whole lot of success. The other thing that I really think is key, and this comes from uh, a whole lot of observation. I've helped friends out at conventions. Uh, the guy that first got me into the community, John Rosenberg, uh, just took the National Cartoon Society Award for uh, online comics, first time they've ever done that, uh, does a piece called Scenes from a Multiverse right now, uh, amultiverse.com. He was uh, well-known for doing goats, goats.com before that. Uh, he's got a feel for uh, selling. He describes $20 as the quantum unit of money. If somebody's going to give you money, any amount up to $20, they are willing to give you. They're not going to say, oh, well, I'd give them up to $12, but I won't give them 14 If they got a 20 in their pocket, they're going to spend it, and as much stuff as they can get for that, they will get for that. So if you've got something that's priced at uh, $20, they'll give you $20, and they'll be happy about it. But if you've got something that's priced at 5 bucks, they may give you the 20 and get two of that and expect $10 back. So managing that expectation of what people are willing to put money down for is the other key component. Now, those have a nonlinear relationship where it's really tough to see what's going to catch fire. I don't think anybody expected Rich Burlew's uh, very successful Kickstarter, uh, $1.4 million off the top of my head, to reprint his Order of the Stick books uh, to go where it went, and he wound up with something like 63 reward tiers and constantly adding freebies and add-ons and new stuff in there. Uh, nobody could have predicted that. Uh, but in a lot of cases, you'll see a huge rush. You'll see a meeting of goal in the first couple of hours of the first day and then a fairly linear tapering off. And you can kind of get an idea where it's going to be about halfway through, uh, but then sometimes it just... Uh, turns around on you again. Uh, Burlew was, bigging, uh, was bringing in his biggest daily amounts in the last three days sure. of his campaign. Yeah, and we see that a lot on the board game side. Uh, a lot of fence sitters who are sitting out who will like, watch the project, like it, and then usually within those last three or four days, 
you'll see the vast majority of funding is in those last few days because everybody's like, oh, it's going to fund, even though cycle, even though literally we know that if we if we pledge the money and it doesn't make it nothing, no harm, no foul, but there's a psychological factor going on there that people want to back a winner, and not until you're actually going to prove to them that you're a winner will they give you their money. And that's what's a little bit weird about the comics. Uh, You get this deep emotional resonance with particular properties, and you'll get uh, success right out of the gate. Uh, The one I always look at is Rich Stevens got his uh, Diesel Sweeties ebook project funded in literally the first 45 minutes that he was up uh, within about uh, four or five minutes. Uh, he had one of his high-value tiers, uh, a $1,701 tier, snapped up, limited reward, one of one, uh, just right there, boom, gone. And while there's an enormous rush in that first 12 hours and that first 24 hours and then it tapered off, it takes away the uncertainty. Am I backing a winner? Yep. Uh, there right. tends to be an enormous rush up front if you're going to succeed. Anything that doesn't succeed in the first five or six days is marginal on whether or not it's going to just sneak over that line or whether it's going to be one of the big successes. And the big successes pretty much correlate with having a couple hundred people they are willing to plunk down money right away, and then the word of mouth spreads to people that may not have heard of it. They're away from their computer that day. Uh, and it, it trickles in uh, over the next couple of weeks. And, and that's exactly the case where uh, you ha- if you're going to be successful, you have, a, you have to have those initial backers lined up, ready to go, aware so that when you launch, they know and they start backing you. And that's, that's that seed or priming the pump or whatever analogy we want to use that gets the emotional investment going and people are like, I get to do, be part of this because I'm backing a winner. Yes, and that and that's exactly the the case. Now it's interesting because it would appear each category and web comics doesn't have one, and I wish we had a web comic category, but maybe with time, Kickstarter might be able to do that. It would appear that the web category, uh, the web comic category, has its own rules for success. Because uh, as you and I talked earlier, that in the board game space, an unknown board gamer can get their project up on Kickstarter, get some attention, do some talking up on Board Game Geek, run a few ads somewhere, and successfully raise ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars, or even sometimes up into the ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar range. It's I'm not going to say it's not that it's not hard, but it's not that unusual. Um, on the but what you're saying on the webcomic side, it just it doesn't happen that way, right? That, and- and I would probably generalize that out to just call it uh, the comic side. There's just a whole lot of really bad comics. And if you want to invoke Sturgeon's Law and say that 90% of everything is crap, uh, there's just a, and the, the, the bar to entry to putting up a webcomic is so low that anybody that's got talent can do so, and a whole bunch of people whose talent is as great as they think it is can do so. And you know, I've always liked to say there's probably about 100,000 webcomics in the world at any given point in time, of which maybe 1,000 will update more than 10 times, maybe more than just mom will see them, of which on the order of 100 uh, will be quality enough that people can actually make a living at it. Everybody just gets exposed to so many marginals, uh, within comics, you go into a comic book shop, there's just so many things that just look so bad and somebody scraped together the money to do 2,000 copies 
and get them out into the stores, that there's uh, a hunger for the quality. So if you've got somebody that's got a track record, somebody you know is doing something good, somebody that's doing something a little bit different, couldn't be done in another space, that's where you're going to get the attention. You don't see the project succeeding that say, hi, you've never heard of me, I've never done anything before, but I want to print a comic uh, out of this uh, project I've had in the back of my head, so give me money. If there's not that connection, that's not going to happen. So are we talking about literally just a divide of if you're known, you will fund – I'm going to – I shouldn't say that. I'm going to say it anyway. And if you're not known, you're not going to fund it. It's just, it's, it's just cut and dry. If we have to reduce it, then yes, that's going to be the tendency more than the opposite. Okay, and that's interesting. You, do you have a sense for how known do I have to be? Uh, one of my readers went and did a uh, an analysis of – uh, I, I, in the past week, have looked at 39 high-value successful projects in the webcomic space, largely because I wanted to see things with large numbers of backers, uh, so I'd get something that might approach statistical, statistical significance. Uh, he took a look at those. He also took a look at another 20 that were also rents. They didn't quite make. They raised a bunch of money, possibly, but not up to their goal, and he found uh, a really interesting correlation, a really interesting breakpoint of 100 backers. Under 100 backers, you're probably not going to succeed. Really interesting. So you could actually use that then saying, if you can scrape up 100 fans before you launch, more than 100 fans, then you have a better than average chance that you're probably going to to succeed in your project. Well, we'll have to dig a little bit deeper in that because I've, I know dozens of creators who said, wow, I had hundreds of people saying, you ought to make that comic into a shirt, I'll buy it, and they'll sell three of them. Sure. So it's not just 100 fans, it's 100 people who've, who've said, I've got money and here it is, I'm giving it to you. And is that an absolute line? No, it's not. And I don't want to turn that around and have people look at it from the direction of, I've scraped together 100 fans, therefore I will succeed. I think it's more along the lines of, I have an audience which would allow me to succeed anyway, therefore I'm certainly into the triple digits. Yeah, and, that, and that's true. What I'm looking at is, is that you've got, you know, we, we, of the web comics that have been successful. Well, no, you know what, I'm going to ask you a different question. Um, what, because I haven't followed the web comics, what are they doing on their Kickstarter project? What are web comics kickstarting? Uh, for the most part, they're kickstarting print projects. You have something that was in print uh, after having been distributed for free on the web. You get the eyeballs, you get the attention, you get the audience by giving the product away, and then you monetize on the back end. It might be that you're selling originals, it might be that you're doing prints, it might be that you're doing print collections. And that's where the money comes from. And uh, there's tangential amounts from other kinds of merchandise or tchotchkes. There's advertising that may show up. There may be sponsorships or you do talks or something. But for the most part, it comes from, here's the work I've already done. I probably made some off of it by advertising on my page. But let's go ahead and put it in print and let's get paid again. Uh, again, Howard is uh, the master at drawing something once and finding ways to get paid two or three or four times for it. Right, right. And so let's, let's bring up this, uh, with only the last few minutes that we have here in the show, let's talk about, you, you've alluded a little bit to Howard's mentality approach to that, almost as a, really as a business. Uh, can I successfully build a business around the Kickstarter model? And I don't mean 
emulating Kickstarter. I mean using Kickstarter as a predictable funding mechanism to get my company going and sustaining it. What's your opinion about that? I got, I'm of two minds of that. It came along at exactly the right time for people that needed a reliable pre-funding mechanism because you can't do that sort of thing through PayPal. If you haven't fulfilled merchandise in 30 days, they're canceling you. Uh, possibly they're just shutting you down. They decide that you're a scammer out of no place. They've got their own criteria. Uh, don't pretend to understand how PayPal does things. The fact that you can set a nice long uh, or reasonably long campaign period, get the money in, know exactly what your demand is going to be, how much you need to print, how much you're going to make on that, how much you can put into overage so you got something to sell at cons for the next year. Terrific. My, the concern I'm starting to get in the back of my head is that people may be building into business models Kickstarter under the assumption that it will always be there, that they'll be predicating an ongoing business of time for the next book, time to run another Kickstarter. And if you get locked into a single platform, uh, there's always that risk that someday it's not there. That if Kickstarter attracts the wrong kind of attention and gets taken down in some kind of malicious attack, if they have a security breach and all of a sudden everybody's uh, passwords uh, are compromised and there's a loss of confidence, if that specific mechanism isn't there, I think a number of people are going to have to scramble to work around. Fortunately, uh, the web comics community is pretty good about thinking not just how are we doing business now, but what is going to be the next thing and what's going to be the thing after that, because they've already taken a break away from the business models of comics of uh, independent creator publishing as they used to be dominated by large corporations and a lot of intermediaries, a lot of people getting their cut and you get a little bit on the back end, but you don't have to worry about the business things. In exchange for taking those business things, they get a lot more of that money they get to keep. They can work on uh, margin rather than volume. That's the new model of doing things. What's the next model? Because they're already looking ahead. The forward-thinking ones are already looking ahead to what comes next and what comes after that. As people flood into the current model, the ones that made the first jump into the current way of doing things will be moving on to the next thing. And I'm hoping that the smart ones will be looking at enough Kickstarters to build up that reserve that they have their own self-sustaining self-funding. The profits on this book, yes, I live off of them and I stock up, but it also gets me funded on the next one. And are That's gonna, where I think we need to go. And do you think we're going to see a webcomic only crowdfunding type site? No, but I do know of people that are developing uh, ongoing, rotating project partners, let's call it, people that are collaborating and uh, working together. It would not surprise me, I don't have specific knowledge of this, but it would not surprise me that one or two of the very smart people in webcomics are already working towards a model of self-sustaining fund, angel funding, if you want to look at it that way, uh, or a, uh, a reverse studio system, where instead of hiring on with a studio and they take care of everything, the studio acts as a services provider uh, to the creators. Sure. So uh, almost I, I, just this new environment, a new virtual environment that's kind of evolving in real time. Yeah. Okay. And I know, I know some very smart people, and I, I need to find out what they're thinking, uh, but I, I know how I would want to approach it, and I can't imagine that I'm too far off of uh, what some, some people are thinking. Perfect. Gary, I thank you so much for being on the show. If people want to find out more or, or follow you, how do, they, uh, how do they track you down on the web? 
they tracked me down at fleen.com, uh, F-L-E-E-N.com. I'm the editor and writer over there, and uh, typically something that's caught my fancy about webcomics uh, up every day, uh, occasionally long, uh, occasionally brief, and uh, coverage of the shows, coverage of the creators that are of interest to me, and uh, an occasionally active comment section. Perfect. Well... There is our bell. We are out of time, and I want to thank you very much for being on the show and having a, a very lively discussion about how Kickstarter is impacting, in this case, the webcomic space. Gary, if uh, if there's an interest, would you ever be willing to come back? Uh, sure. If you uh, ever think I'm doing something that's worthy of comment, I'll come back. <laughs> well, if if Howard tells us to, we probably will have to. Otherwise, we don't we want don't want to be on his bad side, or he'll still kill us off in the comics. He's got very big, stompy boots. I would not cross that man. Exactly. Thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Gary Terrell, Fleen.com, a, uh, a blogger about webcomics. And we've talked about Kickstarter and the, and the approach that it has and the impact it's having on other industries. Hopefully you've heard something that has been inspirational, helped you learn and possibly go out and put your own project on Kickstarter so that we can see you pursuing your own dream so that we can help you fund it. Thank you for listening. Take care.